No matter what type of financial status, social standing, or relationship you may acquire, there will always be a certain level of contentment that simply cannot be achieved. Our soul is hungry for something that only Jesus can provide. In this series, we will uncover our deepest desires. So prepare your heart for a word from God. Well, as Cody mentioned, we're starting a new, a new series this morning called Soul Hunger. And the idea behind this series is that there are some things in our life that we just cannot find answers to. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how many material possessions you have. There are some things in life you know that you can never be truly satisfied by chasing the dollar. It doesn't matter how many achievements you have. Sometimes we just cannot receive or feel that contentment because it was designed to be filled by a resurrected king. And we are going to learn today and over the next couple of weeks many things from these deepest desires we have. Why do I feel this way? Did God make me this way? Am I this way? And I want to ask you a question. How many of you would say that you are the type of person that if someone tells you outlandish, something outlandish, something crazy, that you'd say, hey, I've got to see it to believe it? How many are just that way? You're, you're naturally skeptical and you doubt. Four people out of everybody in here. Wow. That's incredible. Hmm. Well, a couple, this has actually been a long time ago now, but my wife and I, we're sitting at home and I'm in my bedroom studying and she's in the living room watching TV. And she texts me because that's how we roll in my house. She didn't get up and come get me. She just shot me a text. It's not because we live in a mansion. It's just how we roll. And she said, hey, I think there's a mouse in here. To which I replied, okay. (laughs) You know, I didn't, I just, you know, just laid there in my bed and kept working away. And she texted me back. She's like, no, I'm serious. I really think there's a mouse in here. And I just didn't believe her. And I probably didn't even respond then. But then she texted me back a third time. She said, Peyton, I'm serious. I can hear it running back here behind the speakers. And I texted her back. I was like, shut up. I've got to come see it. I wanted to, and I'm not fond of mice, but I had to see it to believe it. And sure enough, there was a mouse in our house that day that we politely and very lovingly extricated to our backyard and extradited him to the next life. But anyway. (laughs) There are those things in life that you just have to see to believe. And you know what's crazy about the resurrection? Is that Jesus had disciples that were walking with him that did not believe that he had resurrected. So if you're sitting here this morning, if you're watching online, and you're skeptical about faith, you're not even really sure where you're at and all that, you're not necessarily in the worst place. This is a picture of a place called Cliff Tops. This is up on Mount Leconte in the Smoky Mountains. Mount Leconte is the third highest peak, 6,593 feet. If you've ever hiked up Mount Leconte, you know there is no easy way to get there. The very first time that I climbed this mountain, this is traditionally where people watch sunset. 
There's a place that they watch sunrise and there's a place that they watch sunset. And it's an absolutely amazing, beautiful view. And honestly, this picture doesn't do it justice. But I remember the first time that I climbed up this mountain and I saw this view. Because I'm often like you. Sometimes I say, I've got to see to believe. The disciples, even on the day that he resurrected, one of them we're going to look at it said, I will not believe unless I see him. That day that I watched sunset from clifftops, I did not need to see God because I saw him in his creation. I saw his majesty in the landscape that he had created. I did not need for him to part the sky or to split the sea or to call down from heaven and be like, Peyton, I saw him. And Jesus is going to say something really remarkable at the end of the scripture that we're reading today about what it means to truly believe in him and those who are blessed. If you're here this morning, you're watching online and you're skeptical, you doubt, you're not even sure what this means or how to be, you're not in a bad place. There's some scripture in John chapter 20. It's Sunday evening. Jesus has resurrected. He has appeared to some of his disciples, but there was one guy that wasn't there. We don't know why he wasn't there. And that's who I want to focus on when it comes to this idea of our soul is hungry for something that only Jesus can provide. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you're not a believer, that's going to be a hard statement for you to believe. But I'm going to make it anyway because I know it to be true. There are some things, there are some hunger and void that you have that only Jesus, no amount of money, no relationship, no status on social media. Only Jesus can fulfill that. John chapter 20, verse 24, starts with a guy who's often known as Doubting Thomas. He's one of the disciples. It says, but one of those 12, Jesus has been traveling around. Thomas, called twin, leave me here, was not with them when Jesus came. This is what I believe, that Jesus is coming and going as he pleases. He's coming and going through churches all around the world, not just this church, all the churches that proclaim a true New Testament gospel. What I also believe is that God is going to put some particular people in your life that you need to be around, that Jesus is often coming and going. And when you're not in the places of God, you will often miss out on the provision of God. When you're not hanging with the people of God, you will often miss out on the promises of God. And here we find Thomas. We don't know why he wasn't there. But he missed out on something when Jesus came by. Verse 25. It says, so the other disciples, the other disciples, listen, I love this word. They kept telling him. Anybody have a three-year-old that keeps telling you, keeps on? They kept telling him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, Put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side. Leave me here. I will never believe. And so basically what Thomas is saying is this. He's saying to all the other disciples, Peter and Andrew and all of them, hey, that's great, Peter, that you and Jesus hung out after the resurrection and that you snapped a selfie and posted it on Instagram. That's really great. But if I don't see him for myself, I'm not going to believe it. And I think there's a lot of times people, they ride Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. 
But you know what? You and I are the exact same way. We're the exact same way. We ask for these ludicrous signs from God as if the resurrection wasn't enough. Like, God, if you love me, you'll... God, if you want me to do this, you'll do that. And I get Thomas. I get it. And don't miss this. Thomas walked with Jesus, and he, he himself didn't believe. Even the people following Jesus didn't believe. If you're here this morning, and you are a tad bit skeptical... You're not in a bad place. But what I want you to see in this search for hunger to fill the answers, I want you to see how Jesus will respond to him. But he says, I will never believe if I don't see you. Let me ask again, how many of you were people that would say, I have to see to believe, just practically speaking? Now you, good. I want to share with you a couple reasons why I believe it's hard to believe. Why some may object believing in Jesus, and I don't think that these are exclusive, or excuse me, these aren't exhaustive. This isn't the whole list or the whole reason why. But the first one is circumstantial. I want to propose some hypothetical situations to help you understand this. I want you to imagine there's this young woman and her whole life, she's growing up and she's planning to get married, to have a family. She may want to have a career. She maybe wants to be a stay-at-home mom. She's dreaming of finding Mr. Wright, her knight in shining armor who will protect, provide, who will love and be the father of her children, which women often think of, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. And every decision she's making in her life is leading up to this life she's not experienced yet, but that she's working for. And then I want you to imagine this. That's always on her mind, and that's the direction that she's going. And one night, she decides to go to a party. And at this party, this party, she decides to have a couple drinks. And after a couple drinks, how many of you know she decides to have a couple more? Okay. Is that how it is in here? And after a couple more drinks, she has a couple more until she begins to make a bad decision. She walks into a microphone. And after those couple drinks, she finds herself in a room with a man that she doesn't know. And she finds herself doing things that she swore she never would have. And the lights cut off in that room. And she wakes up the next day and she's got an eternal regret because she gave herself away. And not only did she give herself away, but she found herself pregnant by a man that she didn't love and a man that she never intended to be with. I'm not judging the woman, but here's a scenario and question I want you to answer. Is it legitimate to say, based off of her dreams and her desires and her plans, even though she made the mistake, that those circumstances might prevent her from believing in a good God? You're telling me I've lived my whole life this way and I make one mistake and now my life is forever changed. That's fair to say that could prevent her from seeing God. Yes or no? It's very fair. I want you to think there's a 12-year-old boy. He's sitting at home on a Thursday night and he's reading a book. 
He doesn't care about school. He's got one day of school left. And his best friend, his cousin, is coming over that weekend. They're going to play. They're going to play basketball. They're going to rip each other. They're going to love each other because he was the brother he never had. He's up late at night. The phone rings about 1030. And he gets a phone call from a loved one that says, hey, not only is he not coming over this weekend, but he's never coming over again because tonight he was brutally murdered along with his mom by a stepfather. Yes or no? Would those circumstances impact a 12-year-old boy from seeing the good in God? I'm that 12-year-old boy. And that boy that was murdered was my cousin and his mom. And I struggled for a long time to see the goodness in humanity because I know how much I love Dwayne. I saw what a good mom that Anita was. And you want to tell me about a good God? Some of you this morning, you're in circumstances that are they're preventing you from seeing God because, and I'm not even saying that, that I don't get it, that I don't go there. Some of you, are, you're in addiction, you're, you're in depression, you're in, a, you're in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in, or you're wondering if you're ever going to find another one because you've been burned so many times. And, I, and it's not too naive to believe, and it doesn't mean we're not being spiritual for those of us that do believe. Sometimes our circumstances can dictate the perspective we have about God as being good or not. Fortunately, at the end, His sovereignty is not dependent upon what you believe about Him. So they're circumstantial. And that's, that obviously, that's Thomas's perspective. Hey, my circumstances say, I wasn't with you when you saw Him. That's great, Pastor, that you believe in Him. And that's great that you've got a healthy family and kids and you pastor a church and He's helped you through addiction, but I'm just not quite there yet. My circumstances aren't allowing it. The other thing, which I think is pretty self-explanatory, could be the reason you doubt or are skeptical is because of your lifestyle. There's something about humanity that radically, naturally opposes, contradicts, and conflicts with the will of God. And so what that could be like for you, for you watching online, yeah, I'm pacing back and forth. Y'all pray for the cameraman back there. Is you could possibly be living a lifestyle today that will not allow you to experience the resurrection power of Christ. Because you're so far in your sin, and that's what we are. The gospel says that we were dead in our sins when Jesus found us. And if you've not been found, if you've not committed, you're still dead in your sin. So you're living a lifestyle that straight up bucks everything that Jesus stands for and what he means and what he wants for you. It's also possible to say, hey, I believe in God, but continue living a lifestyle that says, I don't even think he exists. And honestly, don't miss the heart of what I'm saying here because it could sound very legalistic and traditionalist, which I feel like I'm far from. But at the very beginning, Thomas wasn't with the people that God had placed around him, so he found out missing out on the peace of God. And so what we see really indirectly that Thomas was, and Thomas wasn't out drinking, he wasn't out having sex or shooting up drugs or gambling. He just wasn't who God wanted him with, and he missed because of the lifestyle he was living. Now, I don't say that to put pressure on you. That if you go out here and you light up your marble light, that God doesn't love you. 
or you're a Bronco. I'm not saying that. Don't miss it. But what I'm saying is I guarantee you, because I know it myself, there are some things most likely if you're having trouble believing in God, you're living a lifestyle that opposes Him. You're not surrendering or submitting to the things that He wants from you. Now here's the good news. Here's the great news. Jesus can handle your doubt and your skepticism. He can handle your circumstances. He can handle your lifestyle. And we learn this all through how he treated Thomas. This is verse 26. It says, After eight days, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them this time. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Leave me here. I love this because I think what this shows is you could read this and you could think, okay, what's really going on here? But let me tell you what the symbolism of what's going on here. The disciples are indoors, the doors are locked, and Jesus still came through. And we're going to ultimately see that he's coming after Thomas. And so what I would share with you this morning is this, no matter how tight your heart is or how jaded or how locked up your mind is, if Jesus wants to get in, you can't stop him from getting in. If he wants after you, He'll chase you down until you're found. He'll leave the 99 to find you. It doesn't matter how calloused you are, how great your circumstances are, or how big your doubt and skepticism are. He'll come right through the locked door to chase you down. You know what's kind of scary about that? Is you can't keep him away. Really. You can run and you can hide and you can go to the darkest place in your mind. But he, you cannot keep him out. You can't keep him from coming in and scooping you. You can't keep him from seeing his three-year-old with the eye bashed and bending down and picking him up. You can't stop the Father's love. I feel like preaching. Y'all are doing something to me in the second service that the first service didn't. But don't tell him I said that. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, now here's the thing. He said, peace to you. Remember, so all the disciples are in there. So he gives this, this general greeting. He comes in, he busts the door down, says, hey, what's up, everybody? And then look what he does next, verse 27. He turns right to Thomas. This, it's kind of like this this morning. And I've been in services where the pastor, the speaker, is just, I know that God's using him. And it's like there's this general statement that God just pierces my heart. And I'm like, dang. I've gotten messages from four people after church service and say, hey, I know you were talking about me, but thanks. I'm like, hold on, Mr. Convicted. I assure you I wasn't writing my message after you. You know what I'm talking about? Get a little squirmy in your seat. That's what Jesus does. He busts that door down, comes in and says, hey, to everybody, and he turns right to Thomas. I'm so glad that in a room full of many, the Father sees the one and He turns to the one who needs Him the most. Then He said to Thomas, put your finger here and observe my hands. Remember, this is He's already resurrected. As if that weren't enough proof, He meets Thomas right where He is in His doubt and skepticism. Put it here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Listen, don't. That's what He's calling you this morning. If you're watching online, that's what He's calling this nation, this world to be. Don't be an unbeliever. Be a believer. And here's the thing about this. is Jesus chased Thomas down. It wasn't Thomas was like, hey, 
I'll only believe that this happens, and I'm going to go seek out and find it. Now, Jesus heard the heart of one of His children, and He came and proved Himself again as if He needed to. As if Him rising and defeating death wasn't enough, one of His children still had a need, and He said, okay, because I love you this much. Don't be an unbeliever, but a believer. Thomas responded to Him, Listen to this, my Lord, let me hear, and my God. Here's the beauty of what's just happened. Thomas swore the only way that he would believe is to touch his hands, to observe the the, the marks and the nails and to touch his side. And so Jesus says, all right, I'm your huckleberry. I'll come to you anyway. I know you're doubting. I know you're hurting. I know you've got circumstances going on. I know that you're living a lifestyle that conflicts and contradicts everything about who I am and want you to be, but I'll still come through that locked door. You're not keeping me out because I have come to be in you. And what does Thomas do? Now he does nothing like what he said he needed because he saw the risen Lord. And how many of you know When you experience the resurrected King, some things change in you. You no longer need certain things that you swore you once did. When you experience the resurrected King, it can change those circumstances. It can change that lifestyle. And he says, my Lord and my God. And you know why I think this is important? Perhaps many of you under the sound of my voice, and I'm I'm, I'm guilty and, and feel convicted of it as well. You could probably really easily say, yes, he is my God. But you know, in a moment of truth, you could not admit that he's your Lord because you have so many vices. He's my God, but my money is my Lord. He's my God, pastor, but my image is my Lord. This is a tough pill for somebody to swallow, but I feel led to say it. He is my God, but my spouse is my Lord. He is my God, but my children are my Lord. And Thomas says, no, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said in 29, because you have seen me, you have believed. Those who believe without seeing are blessed. And you know who those are who believe without seeing are? And so I read this. That gives me cold chills now, and I've already preached this message, and I've read this verse like 700,000 times. You're telling me, Jesus, you're telling me that I'm more blessed than Thomas if I believe in you and never see you like he did? Do you understand what we just read and what I just said? Do you see that the resurrection is more than just an historical event or something that happened? The resurrection is a perspective. It's a mindset that I walk in every day. You're telling me, Jesus, that I'm more blessed than the 12 disciples who saw you. I'm more blessed than the two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. You're telling me I'm more blessed than the 500 that Paul talks about in Corinthians that saw you? Me? Me? I'm blessed? Well, if so, by God, I better start walking in that blessing. I better start claiming those promises. I better start saying the one who resurrected his son can resurrect the things in me. I could say now the curse of sin has no hold on me any longer. I'm no longer bound by those chains then. 
And see, here's what I want to know is you'll celebrate the resurrection today, but how will you walk out on Monday? How will you go into work on Monday? Will you go in blessed or will you go in burdened? Will you walk in the curse or will you walk in the promise? Will you walk in circumstances or will you change your lifestyle and have a new perspective of a resurrected king who's resurrecting his people? And here's the great thing about it, man, you've heard it, but Jesus can save anybody. Anybody. Come on, stand and sing this morning. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to stay connected with everything that's happening at City Lights, then be sure and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And also by subscribing to our YouTube channel.